saw the cutest straight couple on the bus, which I never say. That's the first time I've ever said it, probably. What made them so cute? The guy was cute. Oh. <laughs> but they were sweet. They were just really, like, and she looked really cool. Like, he, he was cute and cool, and she was cute and cool, and I'm like, aw. They're, probably, they're like early 20s. I was going to say, your definition, I'm imagining that she looks like Susie Sue, uh, and that he must have looked like, uh, what's his face from all the Greg Araki movies? James Duvall. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Did I was the was the head of that nail properly hammered there? I hate you. <laughs> I was like, oh, he'll never get this, even though I didn't know exactly what it was. And then when you said, I was like, yeah, he did actually, <laughs> pretty close. What about her? Did I get close enough? Okay. Yeah, yeah, like a like a Latina light version of Susie. Okay, okay. Yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> Whatever, they were cute and cool. <laughs> I'm starting the podcast, Matt. We're recording. Well, I hope all that was in there. No, I'm cutting all no. of it. No! It was choice stuff. No, I'll leave it. Welcome to X-Rated Movies. Ah, uh, this is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date, and now they don't. Now we talk about movies. That... Over there is one of your podcast hosts, Matt Fisher. And that over there is Ryan Whedon. We just did gestures that you can't see. And uh, we're back from a very long break. Indeed. Uh, this has been, it's been exactly a month since we recorded together. It is. We recorded all the Angels in America apps on January 1st. And today is February 1st, a little peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been a while. And uh my work gets a little busy. We gotta we gotta make other plans during January. That's right. And uh, yeah, we're back. And man, I miss hanging out with people, specifically you. I mean, I, there's two people I hang out with maskless, and you're one of them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been weird. I haven't seen. I mean, I mean, you gotta think. Okay, last time we saw each other was January first. How much has happened? Since January 1st. Like, who knew that this was going to be the year of being dad? That's a yesteryear. I've been so busy. I haven't been checking social media. I just opened it back up today. John Roderick, man. Who knew? I know. Just, I hope that kid was actually fed and that it was, you know. I mean, the impression I get is that that man is, like, so sarcastic. Like, even the, like, comment, like, the anti-Semitic comments that people dug out because he was the main character on Twitter one day. Like, I think those were meant as sarcastic. But because it's social media and the internet, if you write it, even if it's sarcastic, it doesn't matter. It sticks to you. Well, I was so. looking around, and it was like other people's stocks were falling because of this. It's like Ken Jennings was getting all this oh, shit lobbed at him for just like saying, like, you know, I've known John for a long time, and like sometimes like he's sarcastic to a fault, but he's never been a bad f- parent, and so. So like, many people are like, Ken Jennings is an ableist. Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone was like, like, say goodbye to your Jeopardy hosting gig. And I'm like, Jesus, all he's doing is defending a friend. Bean Dad Gate. <laughs> it, like, it was a whole thing. Like, 
Oh, wow. And if there's one defining thing of 2021, it's Bean Dad. Yeah. I can't name one other thing so far in this month. Nothing has That's happened. taken up nearly as much news space as Bean Dad. Maybe GameStop. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what's funny? I remember seeing tweets like several months ago saying, buy GameStop stock now. Like, because it's, it's going to be a big deal. Mm. And I just remember being like, okay, Twitter, whatever. And that was like back when it was probably like $20 a share, $50 a share. And I'm like, damn, that tweet was right. I could have made a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think anyone could have foreseen market manipulation. I, for one, am fine with all this. Like, I mean, manipulate the shit out of it. That's what they do. That's yeah. exactly what hedge funds are doing. Like... I I have yet to see one argument that isn't sort of classist that's saying oh only you know investors and hedge fund managers should be doing this like the everyday public shouldn't be doing this like that's the argument against it yeah yeah and everyone else is like well no they're just idiots who do this like, yeah why can't we be idiots that do this exactly you don't have a special license and like. I mean, it tells you a lot about the link between the government and the economy or this specific rich people economy Mm. that like they are jumping on this. Oh, they're like, we need more regulation. (laughs) Like we can't have just everyday folks doing this. And the government's like done and done. (laughs) Let's get on this, folks. Well, a certain set of the government is. Yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. So. I, for one, keep it up. <laughs> Let's buy some AMC stock. Yeah. It is weird how so much of the news is still, like, crazy right-wing people doing shit. Like, that congresswoman out of Georgia who's, like, Jewish space lasers and... QAnon crazy. Harassing the Parkland shooter right. survivor activists. Like, it's like all the news about Joe Biden is, like, he's not giving us enough free money. And, uh, well, that's all the news I really know about him. And he's reversing by executive order everything Trump has done. Yeah. Like, that's as all fast the news. As he can. That's all the news I have on Biden. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yet, news comes through his press secretary. Like, there's press meetings every day where you can ask the press secretary questions and she will answer them. And then his tweets are like, today he's like, oh, days like today, it sure is nice to have a short commute. And it's like him walking in the snow from the residence in the White House to the Oval Office. I'm like, that's the only tweet that he did today. <laughs> like, that's so nice. Everyone exhale. Like, he did a quick tweet, and, like, someone took a photo of him, and then he went to work. <laughs> yeah. And that was the last we heard of Biden today. You know, we started this podcast in the last throes of the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. We lasted the whole Trump administration. (laughs) We finally did it. We're finally out of that. We're into a land where we can just talk about his boneheaded boomer humor tweets. Boomer humor. Boomer humor. Boomer humor. Boomer humor. That's hard to say. It is hard, but we got to copyright that. Boomer humor. (laughs) See what I can do. Anyway, so world of stuff happened. Bean Dad, GameStop end of list uh 
You might remember, longtime listeners might remember from the Tangerine episode, I moved recently. That's right. I'm not a very motivated individual around around the home. Like, I'm slow to, say, uh, unpack. But you'll recall from Angels in America, my TV was sitting on just several boxes. Mm-hmm. Got a TV stand, a, a proper media stand. And as I remember, a sexy twink uh, curled up in like a, a sort of a fetal position on his arms and knees. Well, I mean, that came with me in the move. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was a great TV stand. Just... Uh, I did some more unpacking yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought I'd like to uh, share some of the things that I found in my unpacking. Oh, unpacking with Matt. Yeah. So uh, I don't remember where I got this, but uh, I do have this book. Sodomy and the Pirate Tradition. Well, English, English sea rovers in 17th century Caribbean. Well, uh, it's an investigation of a unique and fascinating group, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, and yeah, I uh, have not read this book. Why not? <laughs> give it to me. I'll read it for you. I'll give you a synopsis. But uh, I'm guessing that there's a lot of buggering going on oh, in yeah. this book. So. I've recently regained my reading powers. <laughs> uh, somehow I wasn't able to read during the pandemic until now. And I'm reading like a voracious oh. Readasaurus Rex. <laughs> okay, good, so, good, good. Um, yeah, this, I mean, this is right up my alley. So, Hom- yeah. oh, homosexuality, I saw the word. <laughs> Great. Very excited to well, good. read you can, this. You can read the cliff notes on that. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, I'll get my highlighter ready. Uh, also uh, uncovered during the move. Dad's in prison. <laughs> oh, dear. A, a picture book. Oh, there's an article in here, too. What's oh, okay. Oh. It's uh, the Proust Questionnaire with Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren? Oh. <laughs> it is totally <laughs> Helen Mirren. Uh, yeah. It's uh, the, the Proust Questions. I see. Uh, what do you value most in uh, your friends? Her answer, their ability to open a bottle of wine. Hey. You'd be a good friend to Helen Mirren, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I did open both bottles today. Uh, oh, what do you consider the most overrated virtue? Holiness. Hey, I knew there's a reason I liked her. What is your idea of perfect happiness? To sit by a clear river on a warm day in early July with the smell of cut grass in the air. Oh, that's nice. Oh, the, we're, we're bearing the lead here. This is in a the, book called yeah, Dad's, Dad's in, in Prison. prison. <laughs> What's Dad's in Prison about? Did well, you read this one? It's about the size of my pinky. <laughs> and it's a picture book. Yeah, so <laughs> like, I assume you've read this one. I think I've definitely perused it, but it's it, it's a book. It's a little long. <laughs> it's like a self-help book for kids whose dads are in jail. Oh, no. That, like, <laughs> Why is he a redhead? Come on. The kid's a redhead, not the dad. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, I think that's implying that he's headed for a life of crime. (laughs) Mark and I both got upset when we cuddled Dad goodbye. We felt really bad about going home without him. Don't cry, boys, Dad said. I'll see you again in two weeks, and I'll write as often as I can. Oh, he's in on for a low-level charge. (laughs) This is like some Martha Stewart shit here. (laughs) Yeah, he's in for white-collar crime. This is Lori Lawton. <laughs> yeah. Who's already yeah. out. <laughs> Revolving door prison my eye. <laughs> One morning, a police car pulled up outside our house, and two police officers got out. Oh, no. A cab. 
I wonder what they were doing. And called Mom. It's a British book. Mom. Mommy. Look at these sad kids, though. Oh, that's why they have the redhead, of course. They hate... Oh, they are pretty sad, actually. Oh, this so, is yeah. sad. Dad's in prison sounds sad. <laughs> I, uh... Neither of these books, I know where they came from. I don't know where either of them came from, so if... If if you're listening and you gave me one of these books, chime in. Yeah. One of the last things I got here. It's a fun little show and tell here. Sex flashcards. Oh, how about that? So we're going to see how slutty you really are, mister. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, flashcards are like ways to remember things, usually. Define booty call. Oh, a booty call is when uh, someone is like, text you at a late hour and is like, hey, you up? <laughs> And that's because they want you to come over so that they can fuck you. Booty call. Uh, slang. Booty. Booty with a D. Telephone call or surprise visit. Frequently late at night. And after alcohol consumption. <laughs> for an uncommitted but often repeat sexual encounter, sometimes with an ex. Oh. He says he likes me, but he's o- he was only a booty call. Hook up, beer goggles, DUI, dialing under the influence. Quickie Nooner. Okay. He had booty call written all over his face. And look at that picture. Those... Ladies playing bridge. Okay. I'm doing, I'm doing them for you now. Okay. We've got cyber history. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I mean, that that's the, uh, the stuff that you need to... To clear from your cache before you closing your browser. Log of internet website visits, especially pornographic. That remains in a computer's hard drive. I learned my husband was gay by looking at his cyber history. See also teledildonics. <laughs> One-handed typing, gaydar, caller ID, credit card bills. And this one has two gents cheersing, saying... There's more than one way to clear a cyber history. <laughs> These are fun. Re-virginize. Oh, that's when your butthole seals back up after someone has put a finger, tongue, or organ inside it. Okay. Uh, to reattach the hymen surgically. Oh. To temporarily shrink the vaginal opening with chemicals. Oh! To recommit to abstinence until marriage, despite having previous sex. Also known as a born-again virgin. Stuporator? Oh, which I guess is a man who prefers virgins. Okay. Uh, and foreskin restoration. All right. Quote, that's when I decided to re-virginize. And it's ladies uh, spilling the tea. <laughs> okay, let's do one more. This one is Lingham. Oh. I don't know what that is. L-I-N-G-A-M. Yeah. Lingham. I got nothing. Well, one definition is a penis-shaped statuary used in phallus worship and to represent the erect... Hindu god Shiva. The lingam is celebrated as a symbol of creative energy and abundance. Sanskrit word for penis. <laughs> counterpart of female yani. In the Kama Sutra, the lingam and yani 
reverently unite. <laughs> There's some synonyms for you. So it's not Laurel and Yanni, it's Lingham and Yanni. <laughs> right. The one-eyed monster, the dipstick, the crotch cobra, the membrum virale, and mushroom of immortality, and tube steak. And those are the only... <laughs> That's it. Slang for a uh, 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 male genitalia that, that, that exists. A Roger, a loved one, joystick, dong, zipper lizard, tally whacker, trouser snake, schlong. Fun stuff. Let's go. You know what? I think that we should use the sex flash cards like we use the oblique strategy cards. Let's bring them back once in Only a while. once. <laughs> they could come back any day now. Hey, I'm waiting. You say you own those. They're over there. I know. And you come over here, and you're like, what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Next time. Next time. We'll use that the next episode. I don't even know what the next episode's going to sure. be. Sure. Great. Next episode. Great. Public strategy. I'm excited. Right. Cool. It'll be fun. Uh, if you're listening and you gave one of these things to me, chime in. I'd like to know where they came from. We'd love to hear from you. But, but we're not here to talk about lingams. I mean, Matt, we've been going on and on about lingams. But we're here to talk about the thingums when you put your thumb out to get a car to pick you up. Nailed it. Because today's movie has to do with that activity, Matt. <laughs> Sure does, Ryan. It's 1953's The Hitchhiker. The Hitch hyphen hiker. Right. Which I don't know what that's about, but... The hyphen? Yeah. Well, I know this is one of those uh, rip-from-the-headline movies, so Mm -hmm. maybe that's just how they spelled it in uh, certain regional newspapers, perhaps. Okay. Like, he was a hiker, and... uh, because he went on a thumb, hitch. He's getting, that's the hitch part. He, Whatever. He he watched that uh, uh, Will Smith movie, Hitch. Ida Lupino's like, hmm, I want to <laughs> capitalize on this future movie. <laughs> Got to add this in. One day, black people will be able to star in movies. You know what? If someone was going to make a, a, a movie with uh, black people starring in them, I think Ida Lupino would do it. You know what? I love Ida Lupino. Oh, really? Well, I d- I've never seen her act in anything. Me neither, what, what? but I've just been reading about her since, you know, choosing this movie. She seems like a really cool lady. One, she had style out the wazoo. Mm-hmm. Like, when I looked her up and, like, just did, like, a Google image search, like, she was youngish when she directed this. It's not like... She had to like hang up her acting hat and like settle for something like behind the camera. I was like, oh no, she still totally had it going on. She chose it. She's like, I'm done with acting. This sucks. Yeah. But also, like, the images that I saw from like High Sierra or, or like other movies from like that time period, I was like, she was like gorgeous. Yeah. She had it going on. Big star. Pretty big star. Um, and decided, like, you know what? I'd rather, I, I, like, she broke off at some point and decided, like, I want to start my own film studio and so like uh filmmakers which is the ones who made this movie she wanted to do a bunch of independent movies that like focused on realism and like real problems and this movie ripped from the headlines matt 
That's what I said, yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's the Ida Lupino touch. <laughs> uh, I did do an Ida Lupino touch right before this episode. <laughs> on, on your lingam? Yeah. <laughs> but no, she directed this. She's the only woman to direct a uh, Hollywood classic noir. Really? The only woman? Only one. Oh. Do you? Okay, so before we get too far... Do you consider this a noir? And what do oh, you Oh, totally, cons- totally. Okay. What do you consider criteria for a noir? Well, I mean, I know that the most people probably define it by having some sort of mystery or, or, you know, thrilling aspect to it. Like when you say noir, you think double indemnity mm-hmm. or something like that. Like a hard-boiled detective often. Right. And this doesn't have that aspect to it, but it definitely has like the, the really stylized use of shadows. Chiaroscuro. Um, huh? Chiaroscuro. Did you order sushi? I don't know what that is. It's the Italian word for interplay between light and dark. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean. Put a pin in it. <laughs> I want to bring it back. <laughs> right when they pick up the hitchhiker. Hey, that's the name of the show. And he's sitting in the back seat. Face totally ensconced in shadow, mm-hmm. hard shadow, like not naturally dark in the back seat like that. Because the two guys in the front seat are well lit, right? And we've seen the hitchhiker from like the waist down from up until this point, so yeah. we know that like he's spooky. But you know, it doesn't take much time before like we get the gist, and he's got a gun and he pulls it out. But like the way that he reveals his face from like pitch black shadow into like broad daylight. You'll have your cigarette. Smoke? No. That's the sort of thing that, I mean, yes, hard-boiled detective or reporter or, you know, something like that. We typically associate that with with noir, but I think that really the defining aspects of it are the interplay of like light and dark, or at least in the black and white era. Like, because you, you can say that Blade Runner or Chinatown, like neo noirs, mm-hmm. don't play with light and dark the same way. But black and white era, like I think that's sort of like the defining characteristic. Yeah, I I think. Like, like, it, me, like it, it has to be an illicit subject, like murder or affairs, mm-hmm. something like that. Something kind of brutal. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Combined with, like, smoke, light, fog, like Mildred Pierce is 100% a film noir, and there's no detective to be seen in that movie. Right, so... Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say, because, like, you know, the term film noir didn't come about until after the period was done, so it's like a retroactive thing that we're naming these things. No one in this period of time was like, I'm going to make a film noir. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, neo-noir is different because then people are like, well, I'm going to try and make a movie like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in this time period, they weren't really doing it. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like a genre, but it's more like mood because it's like genre has, you know, defining characteristics. And film noir to me is very amorphous. Like, I know it when I see it, but if you tried to like, ask me we'll pin it down i'd be like well i don't know i know it when i see it and like this definitely fits into that to me too and 
interplay between light and dark, chiaroscuro, if you will, <laughs> um, is definitely at play here. And not just in the frame that we're seeing, but when you think about it, because this takes place in the desert, and it takes place between like night and day often. Like you'll get a day scene and then a night scene. So we're getting light day scenes versus dark well, night scenes. Well, I mean, scenes. The, the stereotype around a desert is like the, the unbearable sunlight. Right. But there's plenty of shots at night here. Right. But they alternate. And so we're getting like, you know, interplay between black and black and white right there. Mm-hmm. Classic film <laughs> noir. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Like, I feel like noir is almost defined by style, and it can be sort of like hard to pinpoint like when something is stylish. And it's like if we have a gradient of style, like Brian De Palma on like the super stylish, and Michael Haneke on like the not so stylish, like when it crosses that line into stylish can be like a hard point to define. Yeah. But it's like, I feel like noir has to be stylish. Like it it, it has to be really far on that spectrum in order to like be like, I I mean, maybe there are austere noir movies out there. I don't want to see them. (laughs) That's not what I'm signed up for. No. Yeah. This, and this movie has style. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, this is only my second time watching it, and I liked it better this time. The second time, I feel like, was a better view for me. Well, you said that, like, you watched it once, like, way back, whatever episode was before this. <laughs> and you're like, you watched it, and you felt like it was pretty good, but then, like, it kind of, like, rattled around in your head a little bit. Yeah. And something was, like, drawing you back to it. And I'm assuming that it wasn't just that you wanted to do a 1950s movie and that you wanted to do a female-directed movie. I mean, it, that helps, but uh, certainly no. Like, I think like watching it this time, like what really kind of like stuck in my craw was like the emotional torment in it. Like the hitchhiker. I don't. I didn't write anybody's name down, so sorry. It's basically so the plot is basically like two guys are in a car. They pick up a hitchhiker and he like torments them trying to get them to take him to a certain city in Mexico so he can take a ferry. And he, the way he, he emotionally tortures them is brutal. Like it's hard for a 1953 movie. Yeah. The one thing that I was sort of noticing about this, cause I, this is my second viewing as well. And I kind of went into it with like, what makes this like unique that it was like directed by like a lady? Like, is there something tangibly different about this than say if a man had directed it? And to me, like there's an unusual level of like intimacy in the way that our villain kind of torments the two male leads. Yeah. That I just, I don't see in a lot of, of other noir movies like you know all other noir movies being directed by men yeah like there's there's something really close because the men in this movie like the two leads are good friends they're not bros necessarily you could even argue that there might be even something gay between them yeah maybe because like as it goes on like the hitchhiker even says like better go fishing when you got a chance that's what you came down here for, wasn't it? You guys are really fools. If you weren't, one of you would have got away. But you kept thinking about each other. So you missed some chances. So, like, it, it's a it's a suggestion 
that that on their fishing trips they're you know uh jack jack and, and innocent <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> from broke pack yeah uh-huh. well yeah when, when they get to mexicali to go look at ladies that one guy's like i'm asleep no <laughs> so like there there's a suggestion of that but uh yeah, the the way that the hitchhiker kind of torments them just feels unusually intimate. I mean, I I think of like the can shooting scene. See, yeah, yeah, which is like it's so fucked up because like the the way it's set up is like the crazy hitchhiker guy is like, oh, you don't think I can shoot a gun? Watch this, and he's like, go put the can out there. And the guy goes and puts the can out, and he sh- like shoots it as soon as he sets it on the rock. Right, like it's like. Not even on the rock, right. really. Like the hand hasn't been pulled away yet, I guess. Yeah. I should, yeah. That's it! <laughs> and But he doesn't hit the guy who's setting it out there. And then he's like, now you, you shoot the can off your friend's hand. Or- and he, like, makes the, the friend, like, hold the can. And at first he's, like, holding it, like, way out to the side. Yeah. But he's like, no, 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 hold it closer. And he, like, has to, like, pull the can, like, closer to his head. Yeah. And the friend has to shoot the can out of the guy's hand as it's, like, six inches from his face. Yeah. And I, but I think, like, yeah, there's, like, stages of it, too, because it ratchets up the tension. I think, like, yeah, he has to shoot it off a rock close to his friend, and then it comes to, like, him holding it. But, like, just, like, even the first stage of, like, having to shoot at something that's close to your friend like even if it's five feet away, you're shooting in the direction of your friend. Well, they like that's messed up to the, make somebody do that. The way that the camera kind of shows it too is like the friend's nervous and isn't holding the gun steady. Yeah, it's a POV. It, yeah, and yeah. you you get this POV shot of the friend holding the gun and sort of shaking it as it like kind of goes between like sights on the can, and then like they shake a little bit and then suddenly the sights on like the friend's face. Come on, Gil, get going. That was a really interesting shot. Like, I was like, I can't think of another POV shot of this variety from this time period. Yeah, I liked it, too. That that stuck out to me, too, because I was like, this shows a great deal of creativity. Because then it also, like, places you in his position in that moment. And it's like, it's already nerve-wracking. But then to see what he's seeing with the gun, like, looking down the sights... It's hard because it's like there's all of a sudden a gun pointed at this character that we are relating to, like that we're supposed to empathize with. Like that's really scary. It's it's emotionally raw. Yeah, and like it, it really like when you watch it, you're like, oh shit! Like this is terrible for all parties because it's like even if you're holding the gun, there's that temptation that you're gonna you can just turn around and shoot the hitchhiker. But it's like, you know that he's already got a gun pointed at you. And like the moment you make a move, he's just going to shoot you in the back. Yeah. Well, and they said that when he like in the when they're taking stuff out of the trunk, he's like, don't even try it. Yeah. He's dead before you. Yeah. Yeah. Whose gun is that? Mine. They like to shoot. Yeah. So do I. And so like it's yeah, you're just in this awful position. that It's like you have to shoot the can without shooting your friend. And if you try any funny business, you're just going to get dead. shot in the back. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. 53. <laughs> I don't feel like it, it's that a- level of emotional torment like 
can you name another movie that like reaches that level by this point? Like, you know, I was I, I should have looked up other movies from 1953 that are like this like mean. Like yeah. this is a mean one. He do, he says things like another one that like really got under my skin was like they're just driving along and then the hitchhiker's like this car rides pretty good. When I get where I'm going, I think I'll sell it. If you're one of the two people who are the hostages at this point, like that's gotta like, you know, well, drag like, on you stuff like that because he's probably doing that more than just what we're seeing. The hostages, like before they pick up the hitchhiker, they're like talking about their wives and families. Yeah, like they're just talking like, oh yeah, we had a good fishing trip, but you know, gotta go back to the little misses. Oh and- no, I thought they were on their way to the fishing trip. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because because they're like, and, and then like, yeah, they're like, well, let's do something kind of sinful. Let's be bad. And they're like, <laughs> let's go check out Flo and her fan dance in Mexicali or whatever it was. And all their fishing rods still have the price tags on exactly. it. Exactly. Like they but all they, say, like, bring us back some big trout. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't bring back one <laughs> trout, not once. <laughs> but uh, they. But they get to Mexicali and it's like one of them that one of them sleeping like they don't even get into like funny business. They're just sort of like, oh, well, this isn't really what we're in for. Like, let's let's really go on to fishing. Yeah. <laughs> like they're they're good guys. Like they're not yeah. in. They kind of want to have fun like they did maybe when they were younger. But they're also like they've grown out of that, too. Yeah. So this that. And that, that's good character building because it tells us where they are in their lives. Like they're interested in their families. My, uh, I read a letterbox review of this from my friend Jen, uh, and she she said it's it's nice to see a movie from this era that takes place in Mexico that isn't breathtakingly racist. Yeah, and good point. It's like large swaths of this movie are are in Spanish with no subtitles. I know, I took that note too. And it's just like we're just supposed to pick up like the the Mexican police are trailing this hitchhiker in somewhere trying to track him down, but like the subtitles just say in foreign language. Oh. Well, I watched it without subtitles and there's nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which and, I think that's an interesting choice. I do too. Like you know, we we talk about how like this is an unusually mean movie for 1953, but it's like, what other movie from this time period has these like large blocks that aren't in English with no English subtitles? Right. Like that's also something that's like very unusual for the day. I kind of like it, especially in this context when it's like you know enough about what they're talking about that you can glean like when they they talk the police talk to that couple that had driven by you understand that he's saying like oh i only saw two people there could have been a third but i don't know and then like they clarify that later when like the police chief is talking to the uh, american investigator from it where he says like they recap the situation but to show us the scene in spanish I don't know. Without subtitles, it's a very... I liked it. I think it's a cool choice that... uh, Yeah. I don't know. You don't see that. Well, I think it's one of those decisions that, like, if you were kind of shown this movie in a vacuum, you wouldn't notice it. You have to watch a a lot of other movies from, like, the early 50s to realize, like, oh, they did something different here. Yeah. Like, usually, if a movie from 1953 has a scene where two people aren't speaking in English, there's subtitles, but for, they made the conscious decision to not include subtitles here. 
and that just forces you to watch how the characters are emoting at one another and pick up context clues. Yeah. I also liked how the Mexicans were all presented as just like really nice people. Yeah. And they're like, wow, these gringos are weird. Hardworking, like like patriotic people in, in Mexico. And they're all so super friendly and the hitchhiker is an asshole to all of them. And you're like, yeah, I really hate you now that you're being mean to these people. Like, they haven't done anything to you. Like, one of them was like, uh, they go to that, that grocery store, and as they're coming out, he's like, Hey, mister, you live in El Centro? I live there sometime. Uh, nice place, huh? And the hitchhiker's like, Ugh, uh, leave me alone. And you're like, dude, it's just trying to be nice. Like, everyone's just so nice to them. That grocer is another example where he's just like, How can I help you? And and the hitchhiker's like, Don't talk, in, don't talk Mexican to them. Mm hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, let's make him racist, too. That's great. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, now that we're talking about, like, all the Mexicans in this are super well represented. They're all either nice or yeah, good at portrayed their, as, like, normal. Good, good just at their like, jobs. Yeah. <laughs> like, hardworking people. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that is refreshing. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but definitely. Yeah. There's a couple other things in, in the movie that's just, like, I feel like it does kind of take, not necessarily a woman's touch, but, like, once I kind of gleaned on to, like, how, like, mean the hitchhiker was in an intimate fashion, mm-hmm. it kind of spilled over into other things. Just how he was, like, super machismo, like, toxic masculinity stereotype. Oh, go on. And, well, and whereas, like, the two friends are not that way at all. Like, they're not bros in the slightest. I don't know if she like necessarily like you know hit it out of the park with this or or if this was even her goal, but it just it kind of seemed like the hitchhiker being like the super overly manly had to be in charge, had to call the shots. Like those are villainous aspects of him, whereas people who were more uh, mindful, uh, more oh boy beta cucks, <laughs> are seen like like. Everyday good hearty people are just like you know mindful, minding their own business. They're they're just making it in this uh, uh, workaday world, like yeah. doing what they can to find happiness here and there. And it's sort of like ruined by this like you know shitty toxic masculine dude. Okay, it is interesting how I mean normally in a movie I would be shitting on something like this for lack of character development but i don't really need it here i mean the movie's 71 minutes long so i think it's the shortest movie yet shortest movie we've done for the podcast boy it's got to be close to it if not the shortest Uh, i mean i think brave little toaster is like 87 so i think that's that was the winner for for a long time here yeah i think we've beaten it like it's not even a movie by today's standards. I know. Like if you went, can you imagine going to the movies and paying ten plus dollars, and you're like seventy? What the fuck? <laughs> I, gotta, I will gotta pair say, this with a short or something. I will say, like I watched this streaming on Amazon, and I regret it because the first time that I watched it, it was uh, a, a Blu-ray, just a two K restoration of it. But I noticed the difference. Like, oh, really? Yeah, watching it streaming, like the the a there was like all like the 
hairs and rips that like come on like you know film and like cigarette burns and stuff like that and like the restoration that i watched initially was like devoid of all that did you pay for it on amazon yeah no well i'll tell you what i watched it on canopy the um streaming service that you can get through the seattle public library pristine baby it was beautiful okay okay well uh, that you know there we go there's the difference yeah because it, it kind of like, and it's not just like the 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 visual restoration, but like the audio too. Like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Mine was great. Oh, see, yeah, when you when you like a lot of that old audio kind of sounds like it's underwater yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and like this had that going for it, and I'm just like, ah, oh, it's just it's one thing if this is the way that I had initially watched it. But, like, I saw the restoration originally. So, like, downgrading both audio and visual, that was sort of a rough one. Well, like, no, yeah. the the So, yeah, okay, if you, listener, if you do feel like watching this, spring for the restoration because I watched the restoration on Canopy and it looks, mwah, it looks beautiful. Oh, like okay. Like, the starkness between the black and the white looks great. The sound, I could hear everything. And normally I, w- I watch a movie like this with headphones because of those things. Mm. Like n- the restoration, they did a good job because okay. it looks it looks great. Yeah, w- whatever Amazon Prime has streaming is not a restoration because yeah, it's a lot of hairlines, a lot of cigarette burns, and yeah, a lot of the sound is like the underwater sound to it, and it's just yeah, go go for the restoration either yeah Blu-ray or if your library has it through through Canopy yeah. like highly recommended because i don't know some of that stuff it just it kind of makes a difference for enjoyment well levels. yeah it can yeah. push you it can push you out it can be distracting yeah or yeah or it's especially like, if you know the difference like yeah if you saw the restoration went back to to the standard like then suddenly you're watching all you're noticing is like the little imperfections to it i mean and but i good, think it's call out to canopy that's good to know yeah they uh well, I'll be curious moving forward if, if that's the case more often than not. But this time, definitely. It's good to know they went out on that one. And it's also in the public domain, so you could have watched it on YouTube hmm. or wherever. But, um, was, I mean, on that note, Ida Lupino was uh, very knowledgeable about, like, lenses and cinematography and really into directing. Like, she really took it seriously and was good at it. And I mean, like you can tell this is a I'm, director movie. I was going to say like, there are certain shots in this where I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe cinematographer gets some credit here, but like, I feel like this, she blocked this on purpose. Like there's one specifically, it's like when they finally get to Guaymas and they're underneath the bridge and it's the one where he's like, give me your clothes. And they're like going to change. And the way it's blocked, there's like, pillars of the bridge that they're underneath and they all stand between the pillars okay and like they move to those positions and i'm just like this looks great and it's like it there's nothing in this script that calls for something like this but it's it's just there to be visually interesting yeah and i was thinking like when they're in the desert and it's night and the two guys try to run away like on the uh airline field yeah, and the hit tracker like gets in the car and chases him. Ah, it's a great looking scene. Oh, yeah, fabulous. And like it kind of plays in the light and the, the dark that you were you were talking about earlier where it's like the car is driving for a while before it turns on its headlights and like shines them down. Yeah. 
But I mean, it's, it, there's just yeah, there's a bunch of scenes where it's like she did her homework. Yeah. Like she she knew her way around like a cinematography set before she made a movie or you know I I don't know if this is her first movie or not. It's but. not. She's she directed a couple movies before this. Okay. I think this might have even been like one of her last. Oh. Okay. Uh, and then she went. She on, didn't she, die till like. 2005 or something 95 yeah 95 and she did a bunch uh, a polio survivor we should also throw that in there oh wow she directed a bunch of tv she was the only person to direct a twilight zone episode <gasps> that she also starred in i think or oh really that's so, fun something like that but she did like twilight zone episodes yeah just a cool hey those cool, twilight cool zone episodes are, are are no slouch the director department That's those right. are like little like short films i mean she did some of the uh alfred hitchcock presents as well which is the same story hey, St- steven spielberg did some of those yeah like, if i remember correctly i might not be but um but she um she dated howard hughes when she was a teenager <gasps> i think she was in the aviator or the character i meant to look this up i forgot oh i don't remember her in the aviator but yeah, I mean, she dated Howard Hughes, and at the time the Hitchhiker was made, Hitchhiker was released by RKO. At the time, RKO was owned by Howard Hughes. Oh, okay, so, sure, yeah, sure, sure, the sure. Film, sure. The, her production company, the filmmakers, was partially funded by Howard Hughes himself. So, like, he kind of helped her career. And just while we're talking about Alipino, so the filmmakers, her um, her production, her production company? company is like sort of a model of independent filmmaking like she would do all the scrappy stuff where it's like use sets from other movies or like so you're saying like roger corman was like we need to do the 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 dual lupino model over here <laughs> dual lupino or ida lupino <laughs> lay off we're on our second <laughs> bottle of wine sorry sorry yeah except he didn't do it as good as she did like film on location, like I don't know. She just, she's a cool lady. I mean, I gotta say, she directed and starred in another movie called The Bigamist. Exactly. Uh, that I haven't seen, and I want to. I was like, that sounds like a taboo movie that like she like starred and directed in. I'm like, I don't know. It sounds up my alley. Also produced uh, by the filmmakers, and um, that was their deal. They were like, they wanted to deal with like tough subjects because i think they did like a rape movie mm. they did this this bigamist movie like she she wanted to do with like real gritty real stuff because uh was it uh not rosalini or maybe it was rosalini she had that conversation with him roberto yeah and he was like oh these uh american, uh, american movies you can't believe anything because they're stars and uh, they're beautiful and they don't do any they're always trying to kill their wives and nobody's doing anything real and like this is I'm literally quoting. You must remember this. <laughs> By the way, you must remember this is a great podcast about old Hollywood history, and they have a great episode on Ida Lupino. I recommend it if you're interested in her at all. But um, yeah, and she was like, "You're right." And so she wanted to do these like realistic, gritty films. So uh, what you're saying is Ida Lupino was the Reese Witherspoon of her day. Very like, much. I remember, like, I saw, like, Reese Witherspoon, like, giving, like, an acceptance speech for some award, and she was like, you know, I just found this production studio, we're doing, like, movies, like, about women, like, you know, by women, and, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, good, what Katherine Heigl movie will you be producing next? (laughs) And she goes, our first movie was Gone Girl. I was like, oh, 
well, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, and then she's like, and the next thing we're doing is a television series called Big Little Lies. I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, I got all snarky for no reason. <laughs> I was like, oh no, she's doing real things, and like, I feel like Ida Lupino like must have had like the same mentality. Yeah, yeah, and it sucks because it's like you know you think about she's working in a man's world. Oh sure, and she's probably like it's an uphill battle every fucking step I mean, of the way. Was there more like was Hollywood ever more of a man's world than like the 1950s? I mean, yeah, because uh, what's the uh, what's her name, uh, Dorothy Asnavar? <laughs> Arsner. Like, she made Hollywood movies, but it was sort of like pre-code. Right. Well, the, okay, so that episode of uh, You Must Remember This says that she was the only female member of the Directors Guild, and she had, before Ida Lupino had made her movie, she hadn't made a movie since, like, the f- early 40s or something right. like that. So, D- yeah. Dorothy, Dorothy Asnavar. Yeah, Dorothy, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like... What a boys club. Yeah, by the time it got to like the late 1940s, we're like, let's get these ladies out of here. <laughs> uh, so I feel like Ila Lupino was making movies at a time where it was like maximum boys club. Yeah. And good on her. Yeah. And like she made many. <laughs> like I can't even imagine the hoops that she had to jump through or like the bending over backwards that she had to do to like get this shit made. Like, especially because like, you get the feeling that like she made them on her terms. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot of times she put up a lot of her own money for them too. Oh, okay. So these are passion projects and this is what independent filmmaking is, you know, and it kind of sucks that she didn't get more uh, support from people, but like good on her for getting a maid, mm-hmm. you know, and they're good. Well, at least this one, I'm very curious to check out more of her movies. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too. Cause like, yeah, this one, like it's not, it's not like a, a, a well, I, I will say it's a, a hidden gem, but it's not like this super hidden gem necessarily. Like, I think there are problems with the script. Like, it has a lot of, and then this happened, and then this happened. Like, a lot of that, the the first many scenes, like, you can tell in any order. Sure. Like, it's not like this happened because of the previous scene. There's a lot of, like, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and like all these events are sort of interchangeable with one another they don't build necessarily i couldn't help like thinking of what a remake would be like while watching it the hitcher with rutger hauer yeah but that was what 40 years ago I'm not that old, sir. <laughs> that movie came out like my birth year, I think. Okay, well, very close to 40 then. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, like, I was thinking, like, what what if this is two women who pick up a man or something like that? Well, like, that would ever happen. But, like... Thelma and Louise with Brad Pitt. Okay. But, like... But, you, no, I, I see what you mean. You know like, what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's almost ripe for although with like cell phones and stuff it might not work as well but like well i don't know they're out in the desert like you can just be like no 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 cell reception yeah or you could even just like set it at a time pre-cell phones if you really wanted to but like i feel like you could remake this movie and keep the sort of psychological torture elements of it well the way that the hitchhiker like brandishes the gun didn't strike me as too far removed from like the way that like the zodiac killer like shows the gun in zodiac oh yeah like 
uh, one of the notes that I took like early on, I was like, this is like the Zodiac of like the 1950s a little bit. Like, yeah. not like a procedural, like not a, a, a investigative procedural the way that Zodiac is, but like the way that, you know, I mean, Zodiac is also ripped from the headlines, granted 30 year old headlines. I can't remember the name of this killer, but he went on a, a killing spree like this where he'd go around hitchhiking and killing the people and taking their cars. And then like, I want to say his name, the last name was Woods, but. James um, Woods. James Woods. We, we've we known it all these years. The hitchhiking killer. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. I, like, you're right. It, it's it, It's definitely got that, like, real vibe to it. Because it was real. Like, yeah. this happened. And it is, like, it's invasive in its intimacy a little bit. Like, it just, it, I don't know. It, it doesn't have the feel of like the normal like male serial killer villain. Like it feels closer than that. You get the feeling he gets off on toying with them. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not doing it because he necessarily like he does want to like get to that like ferry mm-hmm. in Mexico. But it's like there's other ways you can get there. Like he's doing it because he enjoys this. He could kill them level. and just drive the car. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. nobody knows anyway. But he likes having them. Be his hostages, be yeah. his puppets. Yeah, he like yeah. He kills a dog in this movie. Almost took me out of it. <laughs> like, even though he's a serial killer, I mean he is. But I don't know. There was something just gratuitous about it that I'm sensitive to to animal torture on film. Yeah, he's got that bum eye. Whoever that actor is, I don't know who that actor is. I don't know who any of these actors are, yeah, actually. Yeah, I looked up, and, like, I have seen these actors on, in other movies, but they're always, like, supporting character roles. Mm. Good, yeah, I mean, good acting all around, yeah. I would say. But, like, that, the, the the serial killer guy has, like, a weird bum eye, and it's, it's fucking creepy. He's got, he's, he's got SKF, serial killer face, <laughs> if you ask me. And my dad has a glass eye, so... Does he really? He does. <gasps> How have I known you this long? I'm just finding this out now. Yeah. Never met my dad, but is when it he... apparent? Well, only when he closes when he his looks eyes. At you from the side. When he closes his eyes, his glass eye doesn't close. So in this movie, when the serial killer is like, anyway, you couldn't tell if I was awake or asleep. That one bum eye won't stay closed. Pretty good, huh? I was like, well, it's like my dad. <laughs> so you felt comforted and like, yeah. oh, I was like falling asleep on a camping like, trip. Oh, you never know when he's asleep. So, uh, whatever. This movie's based on your father. <laughs> my dad's a serial killer. Wow. I'm just piecing this together right now. Um, you know, join the club. Yours was too? No, my dad was an innocent. Oh, I see. I'm just saying, Richard M- Ramirez must have sired some child. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you watch that Netflix? Uh, I'm working my way through it right now. Okay. Don't spoil it. Oh, it, it has a great ending. Okay. Um, He marries a lovely lady that had three kids of her own. <laughs> and now they're all there living all together. <laughs> With this sassy yet... Mentally, like, challenged maid. In, um, I'm just gonna call it. It's an ugly house. The Brady's? Yeah. Was it ugly? Yes. Okay. Yes, Matt. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen it, so. That's not a home you want to raise a family in. 
Was it like the home from uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin? A little. Yeah. It's that married with that, the house that Eleanor lives in in The Good Place. Wait, which which season of The Good Place? Season one. The weird house she lives in there. Oh, boy. With the clowns. It, oh, in The Good Place. Not yes. the house of like she lives in like in her life before The Good Place. Right, not that one. Okay. That yeah. was an apartment. She had like four roommates or something, though, didn't she? Two. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's too many. I think for an one, apartment, one is too many roommates. Is if you're gonna ask me. Don't say that in front of extreme. Oh my god, you guys! I'm gonna take a picture of this and post it. He's cuddled up on the sex flash cards. <laughs> That's so cute. You're a terrible father. <laughs> I'm posting that. It's gonna be a thing. Make it viral, everyone. Make it viral. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know. This is kind of the hitchhiker. Yeah. In, in, in a nutshell, sure. I think, I think we've covered we've covered Idolapino. We've covered uh, most of Duilapina. Se- <laughs> Duilapina. Most of this seventy-one minute movie. Chiaroscuro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel pretty good about this. Okay. Um. How, do, how, how, how are you feeling? This We're jumping in after not recording for a whole month. Yeah. And sometimes that can be rough. Yeah, you know, it's a little tight, but we'll make it work. Yeah, I mean, you, you were tight at first, but you've loosened up a little bit. Yeah, I so. got there. I okay. got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like riding a bike. It's smooth riding now. <laughs> But anyway, I, I mean, I'm glad we covered another woman director, an important one, a cool lady, and also another 1950s movie. Yeah. So check, check. I did my job for this season. <laughs> yeah. So when I'm uh, on episode 300, when I'm tallying up all the yeah, yeah. the decades and women of women directors and people of You'll color be like, directors. oh, look at this little yeah, uptick. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Because I'm sure that's why you picked this out of a. Uh, Diversité. Eh, partially. But, Matt, I'm sure you're going to skew the results by picking something from the 90s next week, right? Next week is technically the the closest thing we have to a Valentine's episode. Come out the day after Valentine's Day. Yeah, and I was like, you know, this is coming out before, but like, you know, like six days before. Like, that's not a Valentine's episode. No, no, it's too far ahead of time. No one's ready for Valentine's Day six days ahead of time. Right. Uh, so, you know. Except for perverts. <laughs> really not hopeless romantics. I'm picking one. Uh, long time friend of the pod. Pond. Friend of the pod. <laughs> extra. Rusty. Alex Ramirez <gasps> suggested this many moons ago. And I wanted to do this initially in in my uh, uh, RD season. Oh, but you did uh, upstream color, which I kind of felt like existed in the same lane as this. Okay. So I, I put it off, but uh, he kind of reminded me of it uh, a couple months back. Uh, I'm doing possession for our Valentine's mm. Day episode. Uh, whatever that Polish director's name is, you have a sound drop for it. Jewowski. Um. 
Sam Neill as the husband that Isabella Anjani does not want to be married to. I'm excited. I have uh, been very curious about this movie for a long time. I haven't seen it. I saw it a long, long time ago. It's technically a horror movie, which I don't think is, is the right term for the type of movie that this is. It was on my short list a long time ago, and Alex kind of reminded me, I'm like, yeah, this is this is one I want to get on the pod. Um, cool, cool, cool. I'm excited. And uh, you know what? I haven't watched anything kind of spooky, scary, horror-y recently, so it's going to be good. Well, I don't know if it's that kind of horror. This isn't like Adam's Family Values? <laughs> it's, mm, mm, yeah, like... There's some stuff that might stick with you and scar you. That's for sure. And no offense to uh, uh, Joan Cusack. I don't think she could pull off this role. Although she tried, I'd still watch it. Okay. That's that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, next week, Possession. Great. Can't wait. I think we need to do something that we haven't done in what feels like a golden age at this point. Plug our junk. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Did you enjoy this episode? You. You with the headphones in. Because if you did, um, I'm, I'm just going to... I'm going to be honest. I'd like some money for what I've created here with Matt. Sorted topic of coin. Sorted topic of coin. Are you going to Are you gonna do this like left channel, right channel, so we can like really get intimate with them? Yeah, maybe I will. You can always do uh, free love. Uh, free love. <laughs> uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, either Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, just leave us some stars. We, look, we haven't gotten a review since August of last year. I think we're due. That's a shame. If you're a listener, give us a review. Come yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, we've given you options. Gloopy Gloopin the Gloopenheim. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart Blumpkin. Blumpkin. Or greatest podcast ever. <laughs> uh, other than that, uh, hit us up on the Twitter, which is X-rated movies, or the Facebook, rated X movies, or the Gmail, X dot rated dot movies at gmail.com. And of course, you can always go to our website, xratedmovies.com. We love, we honestly love hearing from you. It is the joy that brings us joy. We're getting really lazy with our metaphors these days. (laughs) I mean, honestly, whenever anybody reaches out and says like, oh, I listen to the podcast and I really like hearing you guys, Uh, you've gotten me through something or I've been listening because I'm bored or uh, that uh, take you have on this movie is shitty. Like, I'm always just like, thank you. I really appreciate the fact that you're listening. (laughs) Even if you hate us. Even if it's terrible. Uh... So, yeah, please feel free to reach out. All right. Until next week. When we do possession. Possession. Keep reaching for that rainbow.